So just the young men come? Yes. Yeah, it's so scary in Libya, they leave the women behind. Really? Yes. With, all yeah. they manage to bring is their mobile phone. Really? Yes. Oh, oh really? Yes, because... Uh, we completely disagree. Well, uh, we certainly disagree on that. Mr. Reagan. This is a reaction video to an interview of Katie Hopkins on a show called Worlds Apart on RT, which is government-controlled Russian news network. The interviewer seemed to be shockingly anti-Putin. She seemed quite leftist, although she was more respectful than a lot of interviewers that I've seen recently doing, doing interviews of of conservatives. Now, you're a pretty controversial uh, person in, in your own country. Uh, many people consider you purposefully offensive. Are you being purposefully spiteful? Are you saying all those things uh, as a contrarian? The interview begins with an accusation, a typical accusation. She accuses uh, Katie Hopkins of being provocative, which I think is a fair accusation, and I don't think Katie Hopkins would deny this. The interviewer actually asks Katie Hopkins, she says, what do you think of of being considered provocative? What do you think of this idea that I'm I'm labeling you as this thing? What do you think of my my labeling you in this way? And this is incredibly respectful. I love that that she does this. A thousand times more professional than other interviewers I've seen recently interviewing uh, conservative subjects. You describe the city as a place untouched by the myth of multiculturalism. It feels Russian. People, if you speak to people in the street, they identify as Russian first. You go to the UK, you won't find any of that. I've just come from Belgium, Molenbeek, in fact, the jihadi capital of Europe, where they have 22 mosques in a six-kilometer square. Do you have miles or kilometers here? Uh, kilometers. Yeah, six-kilometer squared area, 22 mosques. So it's very different for me where I live in terms of our multiculturalism, which is much more about monocultures who live in ghettos and don't rub shoulders. It's a very different definition to the one that you might understand. I, I love this point. I do not think multiculturalism is necessarily a good thing. I love seeing distinct cultures that are built on hundreds of years of tradition, uncontaminated by outside influences. But I think that this also applies to white cultures. Throughout my childhood, in, you know, through the 1980s and 90s when I was growing up, I heard this value expressed passionately, but this ethic was always expressed with regard to exotic cultures, right? Non-white, oftentimes more primitive cultures. So the idea of like, say, building a McDonald's in a village of primitive natives in Brazil, in the Amazon rainforest, that idea would be considered an atrocity, like a cultural atrocity. I think the same thing applies to a tiny Swiss village, traditional English cultures, Scandinavian cultures. All of these cultures have value. These distinct cultures have value. So multiculturalism isn't bad necessarily, but what one must realize is that sometimes multiculturalism comes at an expense, right? There's a trade-off. Because multiculturalism will inevitably replace distinct traditional cultures. And I think that many distinct traditional cultures are worth preserving. So I don't think it's fair to the world for politicians to enact policies that create open borders that will eventually result in the decimation of traditional cultures without a clear and significant countervailing benefit. And multiculturalism on its own is not a real benefit. We have been fed that lie for decades. I think now a lot of people are waking up 
to the realization that multiculturalism does not provide an intrinsic benefit and that they're demanding from their politicians, okay, if you want to create a multicultural society, show us the real benefits. People aren't just going to go along with this multiculturalism is good idea without, without really you know, any concrete benefits provided. So a lot of people recognize that multiculturalism has no intrinsic benefit in society. That recognition is now being attacked as a kind of racism, right? They call it xenophobia. So if you don't recognize the value of multiculturalism, you're xenophobic. They're trying to evoke an emotional response in, in leftists. Like, this is akin to homophobia, xenophobia. It sounds very harmful. It sounds like white nationalism or racism or homophobia or some other hateful thing, right? If you're skeptical that immigration might help your country, you're a xenophobe, you're hateful, you're evil. It's another one of those rhetorical techniques uh, to dismiss arguments before they're made, right? So that people don't actually have to listen to your ideas, so they can just shut you out because you're hateful. But it's not really xenophobia at all. Nationalism is not actually a bad thing. Nationalism is actually an excellent thing. Not that the left would accept that. The left would have you believe that nationalism is another hateful thing, right? So they like to conflate the idea of nationalism, pride in one's country, the desire to make one's country better, with like white nationalism, ethnic nationalism. That could potentially be very harmful. But actually nationalism, the, the pride in one's country, be, being nationalistic is good. If you are American and you want to make America a better place to live, you want to contribute to that country and you wish the best for your country, that's a good thing. If you're British and you want the best for Britain, that's a good thing. If you're Kenyan and you want the best for Kenya, that's a good thing. Pride in your country, the desire for your country to be better, greater, the best. That's positive. Everybody should want their country to be the best and build it into the best country they can. Anybody who doesn't want their own country to be awesome should move. Much of Russia's immigration comes from the so-called stands. Kazakhstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan. And you're famous or infamous for referring to London as Londonistan, which you have to agree carries some pejorative connotation. Oh, it is pejorative, absolutely. What's That's why wrong I use with it. stands? Um, the reason I call London Londonistan is because to me it's completely fallen to the control of the Muslim mayor there, Sadiq Khan. Uh, he is spectacularly useless at his job. Under Sadiq Khan there are some statistics that I'm sure neither you nor I could argue about in the sense that our murder rate is now higher than New York, in the sense that our stab rate has just gone up by 25% in the number of acid attacks that are happening, 60 moped attacks a day with hammers and machetes. That's life in Londonistan under the Muslim mayor. Sadiq Khan is a nightmare. I actually wanted to do a list of problems with Sadiq Khan, but my neighbor just knocked on my door and told me to shut up because she's trying to sleep. So <laughs> I gotta cut this short. From what you describe, uh, you seem to have the beef with the Stance. uncontrolled immigration yes, and yes, immigration policies and yet the way you express it is pejorative in a much broader sense because stands uh, stands mean countries yeah. not cities why because would london you... is a country of its own and that's but precisely do you realize use that the word. it is pejorative by, yes. by making that statement you are mocking other countries rather than the uk authorities who are are not mocking responsible the uk authorities i'm mocking the Muslim mayor of London and the country that he's built there where 89, 95% of some areas, so if I think about Tower Hamlets, Newham, 80, 90% Muslim population, that does not reflect multiculturalism. That is not a multicultural country or a city. And when he speaks, 
He speaks only for London, and yet he appears to speak for the UK of someone like myself who comes from a place called the rest of the UK. It's intensely frustrating. I think you do understand that when you refer to Londonistan, mm. people may draw conclusions about yourself without hearing your argument first, because I think that the, this point that you've been making about imported monocultures yeah. that exist in isolation, this is a very valued and uh, valid and mm. under-discussed point in my view. It's a, it's a real sociological issue that has to be studied. And mm. yet uh, that, seem, that issue seems to be brushed under the table because people take offense at you. Don't you think that the style of your presentation undermines the very valid argument that you're making? This is the whole problem with the left. This woman is suggesting that, that Katie Hopkins is provocative and that her, her ideas are going to get dismissed because she's so provocative. And this is a tactic that people on the left and the right use to get attention for their ideas, right? They say things that are provocative. Would people on the left listen to Katie Hopkins more if she were congenial rather than provocative? Absolutely not. They're not going to listen to her if she's provocative. They're not going to listen to her if she's congenial. People on the left tend not to listen to people on the right no matter what. Unfortunately, it's almost impossible to get a leftist to listen to a right-wing idea. Katie Hopkins is doing something that Milo Yiannopoulos does, that Gavin McGinnis does, that Andrew Breitbart used to do before he was assassinated. The idea of creating hyperbolic or provocative headlines or something like this to get attention, it'll often draw attention from people who don't actually agree with you. And the reason is because there is a kind of a phenomenon I don't know what the word for it would be in psychology. I'm not a psychologist. It's like the same reason we will watch Dr. Phil. There's all these people with these like completely messed up problems. They go on Dr. Phil, you know, they're kind of exploited, right? We're sort of voyeuristically watching these messed up people. Why do we do that? We don't really enjoy watching them in the same way we enjoy looking at a beautiful painting. I mean, it's not like an, a lovely thing to add to your life. It doesn't benefit your life to watch these horrible people. But we like to do it. Why is it? Why do we have a fascination with things that disgust us in a way? I don't know. I honestly don't know. In some ways, I think it's because, like, well, my life sucks, but at least it's not that bad. But also, there is just something that's somewhat enjoyable about watching something that is freakishly weird. And, you know, there was this uh, movie in the 30s called Freaks, and it was one of the most popular movies in history at the time. And it was all about, like, circus freaks. You know, it was a lot of the Barnum and Bailey people. And we just like to watch things that are, like, weirdly gross or, or disturbing. Some people watch horror movies. There were these shows about hoarders a few years back, and, like, th those were quite popular for a while. I like to watch or listen to a lot of political stuff that I disagree with. It doesn't make me feel good. It actually makes me sad for the world. But somehow dwelling in that negative feeling is somewhat enjoyable, and I can't really explain why. Um, it's, I don't know, maybe some kind of masochistic thing. I don't know. So, so creating um, a title that's provocative, that draws people in because they want to see the train wreck that is about to ensue, is actually a really smart idea. I named one of my videos, uh, White People Are the Least Racist People in the World. Um, first of all, I actually think that's true. But secondly, I did think that people would read that and think, I disagree with that. I'm going to watch this and see how much I hate this person. Sort of dwell in that that hateful feeling. But the reality is the video wasn't super controversial. I mean, I think a lot of the things that I said in that video were indisputable. And in fact, one person who watched the video said, look, you know, I, I think I have a comment somewhere. She said something like, you know, I, I want to disagree with everything in this video, but it's hard because you make a lot of sense. I agree with a lot of things in this video. And then she went on to talk about things that she maybe wanted to add to the conversation that were valid things to say, you know, historical injustices and stuff like this. And I, you know, had a little bit of a debate with her. Uh, 
on the channel in the comments section. Um, and it was, a, I, but I think it was relatively productive. I think I accomplished to some some degree what I wanted to accomplish was to bring in somebody who thought they were going to completely disagree with me, but maybe planted a seed of influence into their mind to think maybe they're right about this. It sounds really provocative, but maybe it's true. And that I think is the point of creating provocative headlines, um, but then writing an article with not only a seed of truth in it, but like you know, really profound truths. I don't think my platform is big enough to really make a huge impact on society, but I hope it makes some kind of an impact. And I hope in the future I get more viewers and more people do watch that video and other videos like it. And I can uh, make a greater impact on society. Um, so I'll keep trying to, to make videos with provocative headlines, but um, that have um, some sen sensible rhetoric within them. So I think that Katie Hopkins is really smart to be provocative. I mean, she probably wouldn't have ever gotten that interview if she hadn't been provocative. So the woman asking her, should you be provocative, is asking a fairly disingenuous question. She's, she's invited a provocative person onto her show to interview. So clearly being provocative has been effective for Katie Hopkins. The Aquarius with, I think it's 632, it could be 932, I apologize for not knowing. Let's say 632 migrants on board. It has nowhere to dock. Italy just said, no, we won't have you. Tell me, what would you do about that? If you broke it, you own it. It, it was in part Western and uh, primarily UK policy that created the mess in Libya. And if you created that mess in those neighborhoods, you should expect certain repercussions for yourself. So what, you so contribute what port should take them, which port? Well, Italy won't. Well, Malta it, said no. You guys have to chip in as well. That, that's, uh, but that's no solution. If you broke it, you own it? If you broke it, you own it. What? Okay, Western governments haven't really broken any countries. The reality is we've gone into other countries. Our governments have sent our military into other countries. We have enacted trade embargoes on other countries. We've made all kinds of political deals. We've gone to war. We've done some things that have hurt other countries for sure. But what was the intent of our governments? What was the intent of the West going into those countries? We didn't go in intending to break anything. We went in to try to create stability. That tends to be what the West tries to do in other countries. Even going back to colonial times, a lot of people will say, oh, these colonists were horrible. They like mistreated the natives and were exploitive and all these kinds of things. But oftentimes, the colonists would create infrastructure, create schools, create governments that were far more sophisticated than any of the governments that had existed before. You have these primitive people who have an existence that is um, basically subsistence level. You would bring them into a much more sophisticated Western world. You can debate whether or not the general population was happier before or after colonization. What's difficult to argue is that the intent of the Western governments was to make those countries worse. I don't think that's ever the intent. The vast majority of countries that the West tries to intervene in are having serious problems before Western governments intervene. So it's, it, you know, those countries are damaging themselves. So the question is not what did the Western governments do to those countries? It's what was the result of the Western intervention and was the result worse than what would have happened had the West not intervened? And the reality is we'll never really know. But that question needs to be asked before any Western government tries to make amends for any negative effects that that Western government had on those other countries. And I would propose that, left to their own devices, a lot of these countries would be far worse off than they are today with the Western intervention. There might have been horrible atrocities that would have been committed had the West not intervened in some cases. Say I go into an antique store, and the shop owner goes around with a broom 
and starts knocking down antiques from the shelves and they start falling on the floor and shattering. And I realize this is a horrible thing to happen. So I go around trying to catch every antique before it shatters. And I miss a couple and I fumble a few and I and I knock into a, another antique and break that one whilst I'm trying to catch this one. Well, by the end of the day, should I go around paying for all the antiques that were destroyed? Or should I just be happy that I protected some of them and, you know, some of them didn't break as much as maybe they would have had I not intervened and tried to catch them? The reality is I was trying to do something good. Just because the West doesn't make every single country it tries to protect or uh, involve itself with just because it doesn't make every single one of those countries into a paradise. That doesn't mean it didn't contribute some benefit, that it didn't help stop that country from genocide or utter devastation. The West in general, I think, has helped the world way more than it's hurt the world. You have to look at the world on balance. Furthermore, there are better ways to help people than simply to admit every refugee that exists in the whole world. There's a beautiful video on YouTube that shows the number of people in the world who would benefit from coming to the West. The number is astronomical. It's so big, there's no way whatsoever that we could help every single person in the world that needs help. Last year, when we took one million immigrants, these countries added, births over deaths, 80 million more people into the impoverished population. And this year, Congress is bringing in a million legal immigrants. And this year, according to the United Nations, these countries are expected to add another 80 million people. And next year, you can be quite sure that Congress, unless stopped by the American voters, will bring in another million immigrants. And these countries, unfortunately, will be adding another 80 million people into these impoverished nations. We could take 5 million a year but we'd never get ahead of what's happening in these countries. Not in this century. Don't you see? Immigration can never be an effective or significant way to deal with the suffering people of the world. They have to be helped where they live. 99.9% .9 of them will never be able to immigrate to a rich country. There's no hope for that. They have to bloom where they're planted. The only place that 99.9% .9 of these people can be helped is where they live. Let's help them there. So there are better solutions than just to invite everybody over. Then, Why do they leave their women and children behind? If it's so terrifying, tell not, me that. Look, I, answer my question. Well, because first of all, many of them are not married. Most of the people who migrate into Europe are... So just the young men come? Yes. it's so the, scary in Libya, they leave the women behind. Really? Yes. With, the, all yeah. they manage to bring is their mobile phone. Really? Yes. Oh, oh really? Yes, because... Uh, we completely disagree. Well, uh, we certainly disagree on that. I love this. I love seeing the interviewer stumped. This is a beautiful moment. <laughs> I've often suggested a solution to the immigration problem. If we want to feel good about ourselves, if we want to feel like we're bringing people over, but we still want to remain safe and we want to limit the number of people that are coming into our country, only permit women to immigrate. I know that sounds crazy, I know people will think it's crazy, but I think it's brilliant. And I'm not just talking about adult women. I mean, of the children as well, only let little girls in. Little girls and adult women are the only immigrants we will permit to come into our country using refugee status. You can come into our country if you are like a world-famous doctor or something like that, somebody who will contribute significantly to our country, but you can also come to our country if you're a refugee, but only if you're a woman 
or a girl. If you're a boy or a man, we don't let you in. That's my solution. It would eliminate all sexual crimes, most violent crimes. There would be very little risk of terrorism. It's a solid solution. Look, if we, if we eliminated immigration as a solution to solving problems with oppression or problems with people being in danger in their own country, if we eliminated refugee status as an option, it would force the politicians of the world to conceive of better solutions. And there are better solutions. There's way better solutions, right? We would invest time, we would invest money into those solutions, and we would help out the people in those countries in a much better way. If we just eliminate the option, we're forcing ourselves to think, and that's important. I know that you are very uh, concerned about uh, the Tommy Robinson case, uh, a very swift sentencing and jailing of a person for the reporting on a politically sensitive case in defiance of a court order. And Majority from, Pakistani Muslim From what I know, the British system has a long tradition of legal precedent. Uh, do you fear that you yourself, with the views that you hold, may find yourself in, in a similar legal situation? Uh, I imagine I probably am top of the list now for being imprisoned for my views. Um, and what concerns me about Tommy Robinson not, people will say, well, he was contempt of court, he shouldn't have been reporting. Now, I understand all that. I think the two key questions are, where was the swift justice for the majority Pakistani Muslim paedophile gangs when Tommy Robinson was sentenced in five hours to 13 months? And secondly, I see it very much, you have the Scripple case here, or there was an... A, Putin was alleged to have poisoned individuals on UK soil. I don't see any difference between the Skripal case with Putin and what our government has done to Tommy Robinson. They put him in prison. He will not survive in prison. One guard let the Muslim gangs into his cell. He's done. So I think the British government is no better than Putin in any regard because it silences political people that it doesn't like to hear just in the same way that it's alleged that Putin did. And so we are no better than Russia. I love this. She is so spot on. If uh, you're concerned that you may be next, is that, go is that going to change the way you... No, not at all. Not at work? all. If I'm imprisoned for my views, then it seems to me it's not uh, the truth teller that will be in the wrong. It will be the authority. And I would hope uh, that there will be a new legion of other uh, outspoken individuals like myself that will come and fill my shoes and I will write... A new book, I guess, at Rude Behind Bars. Well, Kathy, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much for your time. And Thank you. This is very well said. You know, I, I hope that she's never imprisoned for her views. I hope that the British people wake up to the authoritarian nature of their government. And within the next few election cycles, there is a complete renovation of government. The British people need to elect all new people for the government, just bring in a whole new crew of people. Brexit was a great start. America had the whole Donald Trump revolution. You guys can do it too. Just start to elect sensible, real people, honest people into your government, and hopefully it'll fix a lot of the problems that you guys have over there. That's it for me. If you like this video, give me a thumbs up. If you want to see more videos like this, please subscribe. And if you hate me, just indulge in the hatred. Just click on all my videos, watch all of them all the way through, and just, just sit there and think about how much you hate my ugly face. 
And I did set up a Patreon because YouTube hasn't yet monetized my account. So anybody who wants to contribute to that, go right ahead. But only if you have a little bit of spending money. I don't want anybody that's like super poor to be contributing to my Patreon. At the moment, I have nobody contributing pretty much. So <laughs> I'd like to be able to do this video stuff full time. Hopefully I can improve the quality of these videos and do a lot more with it. And, you know, just dedicate all my time to this as opposed to, you know, weekends and evenings. Good night. There is no security, no safety in the appeasement of evil. We Americans are slow to anger. We always seek peaceful avenues before resorting to the use of force. I said that we would act with others if possible and alone if necessary to ensure that terrorists have no sanctuary anywhere. Thank you. God bless you.